Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. Today, we're going to be looking at a season preview of the entire upcoming 2021 college football season. We're going to start off with uh, the college football playoff contenders, take a look at the big dogs on top of the rankings, who's got a, a real chance at making it all the way to the playoff and hoisting the trophy at the end of the season. Then we're going to go into individual conference breakdowns of the Power 5 conferences. And at the very end, we're going to take a look at the coaches who are starting off the season on the hot seat. So thanks for joining us today. So to begin, let's look at the playoff contenders. Uh, it's pretty much the usual suspects. I know uh, that's probably not great news for a lot of people, but it uh, there's really five teams who Vegas says have a much better shot than the rest of the field. Those are an order of odds from best to worst, um, or most likely to make it rather. Alabama is at plus 250, the overall favorite to win the next title. Clemson follows close behind at plus 380. Ohio State's plus 550. And then Georgia and Oklahoma round out the top tier at plus 650 each. So this is kind of interesting looking at the top three teams who all made the playoff last year, of course. Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State. All three of them have new quarterbacks this year. Uh, DJ Ugalele for Clemson obviously made a couple starts when Trevor was out last year with COVID against Boston College and Notre Dame, and he played really, really well. But Bryce Young for Bama and recently named Ohio State starter C.J. Stroud are both, you know, relatively new. They've Bryce Young got some backup reps and garbage time and everything last year, but neither of them have played meaningful minutes. So it'll be interesting to keep a watch on the quarterbacks. D.J. is probably the most certain one out of those three. Bryce, everyone's feeling pretty good about him, too. Uh, CJ at Ohio State is the biggest unknown. He uh, he just got named starter. I'm recording this on Thursday night. I believe it was yesterday when they announced him as starter. Seems five-star prospect, uh, pocket passer. I'm sure the kid's a stud. Ryan Day is known for being so great with quarterbacks. So it'll probably work out just fine for the Buckeyes there at quarterback. But, you know, for any of these schools to have a, a new unknown quarterback, obviously things could go a lot of different directions if he doesn't pan out like they're expecting him to then the two other teams in the top tier Georgia and Oklahoma both have quarterbacks that started for them at least partially last season Oklahoma of course has the Heisman favorite this year Spencer Rattler returning after kind of an up and down season but he ended it on a strong note the back half of the year especially after that Texas game when Lincoln Riley benched him um, in the 2020 season he really kind of came into form after that and he's the Heisman favorite so clearly lots of people including Vegas are expecting big things from him and Oklahoma's a Heisman Heisman factory anyway so he should have a great year. Georgia has JT Daniels coming. He's had a pretty up and down college career starting off at USC, transferring, having to sit out for part of the 2020 season. Of course Georgia thinks that you know, their their season could have gone differently had they had him for the whole time last year in 2020, but now they do have him. He started the last four games for them and looked pretty good. Georgia's never really had that deep passing attack that all of these other teams we've been talking about so far do, and that's been kind of holding them back the past several years. You have to think 
they could have knocked off Bama at least a couple times if Kirby were more really willing to adapt and take risk and really air it out, especially, you know, it's part of the reason why Justin Fields left for the Buckeyes because they're going to do that for you while Georgia wasn't willing to. But, you know, if they're JT Daniels has a big arm and if Georgia's gets a little more liberal with it and just lets him run the offense like like he wants to and like he's able to physically then um they they're you know they can go all the way they're just as good as anybody else if that's the case four out of the five of these teams should have a really 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 good defense this year with the exception of Ohio State everybody saw how exploitable their secondary was in the national championship game um, it's just, you know, they, they, they lost a lot of their really good linebackers from last year. And even though most other positions are returning on defense, it's not sounding too, too great for the defense there in Columbus. That could be a really limiting factor for them, especially if their quarterback, CJ Stroud, doesn't come into form soon, soon after the season starts. Um, they open up the season at Minnesota, which, could be a little tough, but they should they should win that. But then they get Oregon in the horseshoe week two, which is a really exciting non-conference early season matchup. So if they don't figure it out by then, Oregon's got a new quarterback as well. But, um, you know, that could be a high-scoring shootout, and Ohio State's defense might have trouble containing the Ducks. But Bama's going to have the best defense since, you know, 2016, 2017. It's, it's been a long time since since Bama's had the defense that everyone everyone got used to in the early 20-teens and kind of into the mid-20-teens before the offense really adapted and the team just looked started looking totally different. But they get, they're going to have a great, great front seven. They get a lot back. The linebacker core is super deep. The def- defensive line is super deep. Secondary is a little bit younger. Of course, they lost Patrick Sertan in the first round at Denver but they have a bunch of studs that should be coming into their own, and most of them got pretty good playing time last year anyway. So I think their defense is going to be uh, a lot better, and you know people will probably get off of Pete Golding's ass finally. You notice last year after after the defense, of course the Ole Miss game was a debacle and didn't start off looking too good, but Bama Bama's defense really did come into form as the season went down the stretch last year and all of a sudden you heard Pete Golding's name a lot less on Twitter and wherever else among the fans they are quick to criticize, but not quick to praise, especially with the defensive coordinator of all people. So I think the Bama defense will be, you know, really the highlight, especially early on in the season as the offense, I believe we only have three starters returning new quarterback lost the receivers, you know, new, new linemen, but, um, it should should still be very good even early on, but the defense will be the will be the rock at least at least for the first few weeks. But they've got a couple pretty tough tests with Miami and Miami and Florida in week three. Both have dual threat quarterbacks, so it's always been Alabama's kryptonite. So we'll just have to see. Clemson, of course, got absolutely lit up in their playoff game against Ohio State last year. You saw Justin Fields and the Buckeyes just throw bombs on them the entire game did not look like the normal Clemson defense that we're all used to by now the good news for the Tigers is they're returning 10 starters and all four defensive linemen it's kind of been their thing over the past several years with you know great quarterbacks great receivers and great D linemen so I think they're going to be able to really step up under Brett Venables and 
kind of get back to that Clemson defense that's been just so brutally fierce over the past, you know, close to a decade now. But um, they should be a lot better on both lines. So I think I think with their offense, I'm already feeling pretty good about their quarterback, and their defense is going to be just as good as probably anyone in the country, um, including Oklahoma. They're not usually one that we talk about in the defensive category, but they could have the best front seven in the entire nation. Their defensive line is super deep, so they're going to be able to rotate guys in and out the whole game, keep them fresh, get to the quarterback even late. Sounds like their secondary is going to be the most exploitable top part of their defense, but you got to get the ball out of your hand first. And compared to the crappy, you know, classic big Big 12 defenses that we've been used to Oklahoma fielding over the past several years, that's kind of been their, um, you know, their limiting limiting factor on their team with all the great offenses they've had. This could be the most well-rounded team if Spencer Rattler really does live up to the hype, even if he's not the Heisman winner or anything, if he just plays very well and their defense is as good as everything I've been reading, then Oklahoma, this could finally be the year that they get in the playoff and actually win a game or two. Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma have never won a playoff game despite making it twice. So, you know, they're already they're always in the mix, but they just haven't been able to kind of get over that last hump, much like Georgia who will also have a very elite defensive line. Um, this is kind of the inverse of Oklahoma. Georgia usually has a very good defense, but their offense is the limiting thing on their team. This has the potential to be the best offense that Kirby's had there in Athens with JT Daniels, if he's just willing to air it out. Like I was saying, you know, it could be a very, very scary Georgia team on both sides of the ball. They did lose George Pickens, their best receiver, with an ACL in the spring, so he's going to be out the whole year. They've had a couple injuries to a tight end and a defensive back in the past week or so that should put them out until late September, but not the whole season. And they have a wide receiver, Arik Gilbert, who was a transfer from LSU, who recently uh, stated that he's taking a leave of absence for personal reasons. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. Hopefully he gets whatever's wrong sorted out but that would be a a nice addition to Georgia's receiving core with Pickens out and their tight end injured injured for the first few weeks I don't know if he's planning on playing this season at all or what the deal is but they've had some they've had a few injuries and and the the personal leave in the past few weeks so not what you want to see in the week or two leading up to the season but with as much talent as they have all over the place. They've been in the top five of recruiting ever since Kirby's gotten there. So if they are that legit and if they are, you know, finally going to break this curse that they've had, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but it's seems to be Georgia's year this year. So we'll see how they do. The SEC East is very favorable for them. Their cross divisional opponent, Auburn, they're kind of getting them at a good time to have to go to Auburn, especially with the new coaching staff and everything there. So Georgia, other than the the week one game against Clemson, they should really be able to roll through the regular season. And even if they drop that opening game to the Tigers, if they win out, they'll control their own destiny and play Alabama or A&M, whoever wins the West and the SEC championship. And if they go 12-1, and whatever the record would be, with only a loss to Clemson in week one, they're getting in the playoff. So, you know. It's it, we we've seen Georgia. It's it's been their time for the past five years. They've had great recruiting classes for the past five years. They can just never get over that last little hump like Oklahoma. So 
those two teams are going to be really fascinating to watch this year with Georgia actually having a good offense. Oklahoma is supposed to actually be having a good defense. You know, they're kind of imitating each other with those. They're differences that are now now going to be strengths on both sides of the ball. So they could give they could give the other three teams in this tier a, a serious run for their money and even even win a game or two in the playoff if they can get there. So out of those five teams, there's obviously only four playoff spots. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to pick one, especially with the relative unknowns at quarterback for Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Um, I think Ohio State is the most likely out of those five teams in this top tier not to make the playoff just because of their defense, just because we know the least about their quarterback. He's a redshirt freshman, never having really played at all. Other than that Oregon game in week two, they should have a really easy time with their schedule in the Big Ten. I mean, their side of the conference is just pretty pathetic this year with Michigan and Penn State not looking too, too hot. So they should have no problem. They're still going to be a favorite against Oregon, I'm sure. I haven't seen the line on that one yet. We'll talk about that a lot here in a couple weeks, but... I mean, if they if they can get through the the week two undefeated, there's it would be you know surprising if they didn't go the whole distance in the regular season. I think Wisconsin will probably match up with them in the Big Ten championship. And even though Wisconsin's looking pretty good and exciting this year, this the the talent disparity between the two it's probably enough for Ohio State to you know they might even run the table all the way through that, be thirteen and zero, and then have a really tough time in the playoff but with that bad of a defense I could you know we've seen them slip up before to Purdue and whoever is random teams they shouldn't be they have no business losing to in the Big Ten so with a defense this bad and kind of unknown at quarterback I could see them being the team out of that top four that gets left out so just quickly I've been talking about this top tier according to what Vegas thinks and there's a big drop off until we get to this kind of tier two uh, just based on the betting odds here. So everyone from Bama to Cl- Bama to Georgia and Oklahoma are kind of between plus 250, plus 650 to win. The next closest team is Iowa State at around 30 to 1. All the teams in this tier that I'm about to list off are in that 30 to 40 to 1 range. So uh, considerably bigger underdogs to hoist the trophy at the end of the season versus those top five teams. But the second tier is Iowa State. Texas A&M, LSU, USC, North Carolina, Florida, and Oregon. Uh, a couple of these teams I'm pretty lukewarm on, and I think they're mostly just in here because of the the brand themselves. Looking at you, Florida, LSU, USC, I don't think they have much of a real shot to go the distance. They might be good, but they're not going to be great this year. I do like Iowa State a lot the, uh, out, of this, out of this tier. Texas A&M. It's going to be a really fascinating team, too. They've got a ton of talent all over the place, and they just named their starting quarterback, Haynes King. He's a dual-threat QB. Um, he won out the battle, and it's going to be starting week one for the Aggies. They've got a really easy schedule for the first almost half of the season until Bama comes to College Station, so it's going to be kind of a nice, easy start for him. Iowa State's the other team I like a lot, like I said, they return a ton of starters under Matt Campbell. The last year they beat Oklahoma in the Oklahoma in the regular season and kind of choked in the Big 12 playoff. So 
they've got a lot of, a lot to look forward to in Ames this year. They've got a big Week 2 matchup against Iowa, big in-state rival game there. I know they've had a lot of trouble in that matchup in recent years, but if they're ever going to beat them, this is the year. Like I said, I'm not too big on Iowa, but we'll talk more about them here in a little bit. But that's that second tier, and while some of these teams I just really don't know about, Iowa State and Texas A&M, I think they have a pretty good shot if things fall the right way for them this season. They can they can actually hang with the big boys and make some noise. Now we're going to go into the conference previews for each of the Power 5 conferences once I can get my notes situated. So starting with the ACC, Clemson's division is pitiful. They will have no problem going undefeated through there. If they get upset, it'll be something shocking, you know, like the Syracuse situation back in 2019, 18, I think it was one of the two, um, you know, they have no business even make it being a ball game with any, anybody in the ACC and the Atlantic division, at least, um, Boston college is in that division. They gave Clemson a really hard time last year. That was the first game that DJ started once, uh, Trevor had COVID and they, Put up 28. I think the final score on that game was 34-28 to 28 Clemson. Boston College led for most of the game before DJ led them back. Um, Boston College is going to be a really sneaky good team this year. They're bringing back 18 with their quarterback transfer from Notre, Notre Dame. Phil Jerkovec, I believe his name is. I'm not sure how to pronounce that exactly. Only two of their opponents this year had a winning record in 2020, so they really should be able to take advantage of these lesser teams and rack up a lot of wins they're not the most talented team ever but they've got a great coach Jeff Halfley they're tough and I think they'll you know they could end up winning probably nine games or so in the in the ACC this year so I don't expect them to give a Clemson you know a real challenge when they play or a challenge for the division or anything but that's a team that you can kind of keep your eye on and I think NC State should be a little bit better than normal as well those two in that Atlantic division the Coastal for the ACC is much more interesting. Uh, we have UNC and Miami, who both have pretty high expectations this year coming into the season. You know, the, it's this this is kind of a toss-up between these two to win the Coastal. Either of them, you know, if they catch Clemson on the right day, maybe they can give them a good game in the ACC. I don't expect either of them to beat Clemson. They both of them avoid Clemson in the regular season so whoever comes out of that coastal if it's Miami or UNC and it certainly should be one of those two we'll be seeing Clemson for the first time in the ACC championship in December we'll start looking at uh, UNC their head coach is of course Mac Brown who used to be at Texas they got him after he took a little break Um, (laughs) UNC has not won the conference since 1980 They have not had a top 10 finish or a 10 win season since 1997. So it's been a long time since the Tar Heels have had any real, real big success. They were pretty good last year, um, but they they weren't able to get to that 10 win mark and weren't able to sneak in the top 10 at the end of the year. And they're starting, I believe they're ranked number 10 in the AP poll in the preseason. So the Tar Heels really should be doing nothing but going up with all the talent they have. Sam Howell is the gemstone of this team. He's their star quarterback. He's supposed to be, could be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Uh, If not, then certainly a a high first rounder, unless things go really, really far south this season. They return their entire offensive line, so he should be very well protected. 
Um, they lost their top two receivers and top two running backs, so they are losing a good bit of uh, skill players, but they got Ty Chandler, a running back t- uh, transfer from Tennessee, who should be pretty solid. Their defense, not going to be great like some of the teams we were just discussing, but it should be good enough to get them through the ACC unscathed unless they just really drop the egg. So I think uh, they're going to be a really solid team this year, starting off at number 10, like I said. And I think if they if they finish any lower than that, it'll probably be kind of disappointing for them. Miami's the other team who I think has a legit shot to make some noise in the Coastal. They haven't finished in the top 10 since they joined the ACC since 2000, in 2004, which is pretty hard to believe, but the U has just been so down and out the past couple decades. They're bringing back 20 starters. The only two they lost were two defensive ends that got drafted both in the first round of the draft. Uh, they switched from offensive coordinator Dan Enos, who they hired from Alabama last year, or before last season, they switched to Rhett Lashley, and the offense saw a big improvement with a more up-tempo attack. Uh, Derek King is the star of their team. He's their quarterback, and he's just a really, really talented, versatile, athletic, dual-threat QB. He unfortunately tore his ACL in the Cheez-It Bowl against Oklahoma State last year, and he's supposed to be healthy for the season opener against Alabama. Like I was saying, as you all know by now, that's kind of always been Alabama's weak spot is a really talented dual threat quarterback. Always seems to give them problems. I know they run an offense that's kind of wonky and crazy like Auburn's used to be with Gus and De'Aaron King's the type of cat that can actually pull that shit off. So they could be tough if he's healthy. I mean, they get everybody back on offense and their offense was already pretty good last year. It's just... How healthy is the ACL? Is that going to be slowing him down at all at the beginning of the season for the whole thing? If not, then Miami's offense is going to be a force to be reckoned with. And frankly, week one could be a little bit scary for the Tide if that's the case. Um, Their defense, despite having those two first-rounders last year, was not very good. Manny Diaz, their head coach, actually calls their plays on defense, and they don't have an actual defensive coordinator on staff as far as I understand. Really odd, but that's what I was reading a couple weeks ago. So I don't know if that's changed maybe with the um, the lack of success that they've been having over the last couple years. But they had the two first-round D-linemen and another D-lineman that went in a later round in this most recent draft. So they get everybody back that was starting but the two. But if they've been having that many troubles, I don't know if experience is going to help if they were just that bad to begin with. I think the secondary sounds like it should be the best part of their uh, offense or defense. Sorry, but the run defense, I don't, I don't think is going to be much at all with all those defensive linemen they lost, and I think that teams might might be able to take advantage of and kind of push them around on the on the line. So we'll have to see. I like North Carolina to win the coastal. They just seem a little more stable on both sides of the ball. Each of these offenses could be really, really exciting with the quarterbacks leading the way, but. Just with the the odd situation on Miami's defense being so bad, despite having some pretty good talent, um, I don't know. North Carolina, it just seems like a more stable situation, and I trust Mac Brown more than Manny Diaz. So, he's Mac Brown's been recruiting so well too. They just snagged a five-star D lineman a couple days ago out of I think it was South Carolina. I forget exactly where he's from, but I know Clemson and Georgia were on him super hard. So. For North Carolina to get a guy like that, that's just a really good sign for things to come in Chapel Hill. But 
Sam Howell is going to be gone after this year to the NFL, no doubt. So they uh, they need to have a big year, and if they can get through the the regular season undefeated, then it'll it'll make for a hell of an ACC championship game with a lot on the line for ticket to the playoff against Clemson. Moving on to the Big Ten, we're gonna. No reason to go over Ohio State again, even with the questions that I was talking about at defense and quarterback. They should still have a really easy time in the East Division there with Penn State and uh, and Michigan not really being as good as they as they usually are. So the West is going to be the interesting division in the Big Ten. That's got Wisconsin as the favorite at minus 115 to win the division. Iowa right behind them at plus 190. Then there's a big drop off to Minnesota at like nine to one or something crazy like that. So Vegas thinks it's just Wisconsin and Iowa that have a good shot at winning this. I think it should be Wisconsin pretty easily. Um, they've got a lot of upper, upperclassmen that could have left but came back as super seniors or guys that could have gone to the draft that came back for their traditional seniors. So they've got really good depth on this team. They got a good balanced offense. I mean, we all know Wisconsin always has a beast offensive line, good running backs, and Graham Mertz should should take a big step this year and be a really solid starting quarterback from them. Their defense sounds really solid as well. Their schedule isn't too, too hard or anything. They start off with a pretty interesting game against uh, Penn State at Camp Randall. There, It's the morning game on week one, so I'm excited for that one, but I the Badgers just sound like they're going to be really well balanced on both sides of the ball. They're going to be a veteran team. They're always a pretty steady, safe bet. So I like them over Iowa, Minnesota, everybody else there in that East division. Some people are kind of high on Iowa. I don't get it. I haven't done a ton of reading into them, but everything I have seen just has seemed like a very just average eight win Iowa team. Uh, they were hit super hard by graduation and guys leaving for the NFL draft, especially on both lines. So they might get pushed around a little bit this year. They did end last year with really good momentum. They started 2020 with an 0-2 record. Then they won their last six. Their quarter, quarterback sounds fine. Nothing special to write home about. So I just don't really see them keeping up with Wisconsin this year on either side of the ball. So I like the Badgers to make it to Indianapolis at the end of the season, but as much as it would be fun to see a competitive game, just with the talent that Ohio State has, you know, we've just, I feel like we've seen this kind of Wisconsin versus Ohio State type of Big Ten championship so many times, and it's usually not as close as most of the viewing public would like it to be. So I like Ohio State over Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Maybe Wisconsin gets some momentum riding into that game and give the Buckeyes a good shot. We'll see. So now we're going to touch on the Big 12. We already talked a good bit about Oklahoma. They're the favorites, pretty heavy favorite to win that conference. Uh, the Big 12 is a little bit unique. They d- they don't have divisions. They're the only one out of the Power Five that where that's the case. They just have their teams just top to bottom. Whoever's at the top, no matter you know geography, doesn't play into effect at all. Just the top two teams play each other in Jerry World for the Big 12 championship. Um. Oh, Iowa State is the team that's supposed to meet them there. They, Those two teams, it would be pretty shocking if anybody unseated one of those two for a spot in the conference championship. Uh, TCU should be decent this year. Texas, you know, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I don't want to get into them right now, but they're not they're not top two in the in the conference ready. I don't think quite yet. So. I like Oklahoma and Iowa State to face off in that game for the Big 12 title. 
Iowa State. I want to hit on them a little bit more because I've been getting really excited about them this offseason. They've just got a lot of good stuff going for them. Their head coach, Matt Campbell, if you didn't know him before last year, you definitely learned his name if you were following along to last season. So he is probably one of the top two candidates that's most likely to get poached by a blue blood type of football program very, very soon. A lot of people at the end of the season when they thought Jim Harbaugh was going to be on his way out at Michigan, saw Matt Campbell going to the Wolverines. Uh, You know, if USC has an opening after this year, we're going to get into hot seats uh, for coaches a little bit later in this episode. But Matt Campbell, Iowa State, just enjoy it while you have him because he could even be looked at by NFL teams too. He's just that type of a head coach. He could really do it anywhere, I think. So he's going to be a hot candidate at the end of the season if everything goes as planned for the Cyclones. Iowa State has not won a conference title since 1912, so safe to say it's been a while. They're coming off of a Fiesta Bowl victory against Oregon. They returned 19 starters from last year's really good team. That beat Oklahoma in the regular season, like I said earlier, but they threw two or three interceptions in that Big 12 title game and just kind of melted down and couldn't quite seal the deal. Uh, The person who threw those interceptions is quarterback Brock Purdy, who's actually a Heisman candidate, kind of a dark horse this year. And Brees Hall, their running back, could also get in the Heisman mix. They have two stud senior tight ends that are going to be amazing. Super talented line. Uh, the defense, the set was crazy. They only gave up 16 second half points in their last five games last year. So they just got better as the games went on. Their front seven's nasty. They're deep at secondary. Their kicker is a super senior. They've got a great head coach. They're very slow and methodical and they'll just, they'll just attack you just relentlessly the whole game, just five yards at a time. And, uh, you know, that can be that can be infuriating, make the defense want to bite when then, you know, with a quarterback as good as Purdy, he can hit you over the top when you're least expecting it on a nice play action. So I like everything I've heard out of Ames. Uh, I'm really big on the Cyclones this year. They are uh, really the only team in the Big 12 who has any business sticking around with Oklahoma as good as they should be this year. So I, I think Oklahoma will be my pick to win that title game, but I could see it being really close. They play each other on, I believe, November 20th, whatever that weird week 11, right before Thanksgiving and all of the big rivalry games. So that'll be a great ball game on the traditionally worst Saturday of the fall. So that game should be super exciting. And if things go as planned for both teams and they're going to see each other two weeks later for a rematch in Dallas. So I'm really excited for Iowa State. I think with the Big 12 being pretty weak this year, if they can just get past Iowa in week two, then we can see possibly an undefeated week 11, whatever that is, match up with the Cyclones in Oklahoma just to have a rematch two weeks later, potentially for a spot to the college football playoff. So Big 12, the middle and bottom, not too interesting for me, but these top two teams should be a lot of fun to watch and I'm kind of pulling for the Cyclones this year to get their first conference championship in 109 years. Now we're going to move out west to the Pac-12. Y'all need to listen up for this one because the Pac-12 is going to be the most entertaining conference from top to bottom this year. Interestingly, you probably noticed Pac-12 was the only team, only conference that did not have a team 
representing them in that top tier of college football playoff teams. USC and Oregon were kind of in that second tier that I was talking about, but this conference just has a lot of really, really good teams. I don't know that they have a single elite team, but I counted five that I could envision winning the whole conference. There's three in the south, two in the north. We're going to hit on all of them, so this one will take a little bit longer than the other conferences, but all the other conferences, there's one or two teams that we feel pretty damn certain is going to win the conference. This one, I can seriously see it going five different ways, so... Uh, you know, Pac-12 gets forgotten about by a lot of my people back at home in the South with their, their games being so late and, you know, the teams are generally a little less exciting. We know a little bit less about them, but this year, I hope it, I hope this gets y'all exci- as excited for the Pac-12 as I am because I wasn't expecting a whole lot going in because I've been kind of uh, su- subjected to that anti-Pac-12 bias that most of us have around the country just from not seeing too many other games on the big primetime spots, but this is going to be a really exciting season. So in the South, the three teams I think can contend are Arizona State, USC, and Utah. We'll start at the top with Arizona State. Their roster is absolutely loaded. They have 15 starters coming back, which, you know, might sound like a lot, but in this in this year with the the super seniors and all of the weird COVID exceptions that were made last year, fifteen, it's a lot, but it's it's probably close to average this season. But they have a lot of talent in those fifteen starters. They led the Pac-12 in both scoring offense and defense last year. So they can really do it on both sides of the ball. They're a team I think we're used to just kind of seeing maybe put up some big high-scoring games, Pac-12 after dark type of games, but their defense is legit. Jaden Daniels, their QB, he's coming back for his junior year. He's really talented and fun to watch. Herm Edwards is their head coach. Um, Thing about Arizona State is it makes me a little iffy on them. They've had a lot of trouble with the NCAA this offseason. So they were hosting recruits on illegal campus visits during the height of the pandemic in 2020. Uh, The entire NCAA, nobody was allowed to have recruits on campus for visits from March of 2020 until early this summer. So it was a long period. Everybody had to adjust, do things over Zoom, cell phones, you know, FaceTime, whatever. And everybody, for the most part, just took that. We're so good with technology nowadays, even the old coaches, you know, they can just have someone at their side operating the computer for them if need be. But Arizona State decided they were above this and they were hosting recruits on campus in their buildings with hundreds of cameras in them. They got busted. There have been no repercussions that I know of yet, although I'm sure heads will roll at some point. I haven't heard anything about the coaching staff being at risk. So as far as I know, things are relatively steady, but they've, they've had some troubles and kind of makes me question the the vibe there this off season. So I like them a lot based on their on the field stuff. I just don't know about the off the field, which makes me hesitant to, to pick them in such a crowded division. Next, we move on to USC. Their quarterback, Kendon Keaton Slovis is a dark horse Heisman candidate. He was there last year. Their skill players are really good. Their offensive line wasn't great last year, but they get four starters back, so they should be much improved. The defense should be solid. They've been recruiting a lot better the past year or two. Uh, so Clay Helton, you know, this is a big year for him. They've got a lot of talent 
they're in Los Angeles, and there's really no reason they shouldn't win this division or the Pac-12. And I think if they fall very much short of that at all, Clay Helton, you know, his job is is going to be probably a little bit iffy as it has been seemingly the past two or three seasons. You know, it's 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 been a weird rocky ride for them, but we're going to get more into him later. Um, Utah is my favorite and pick to win the South. They, of course, have to play USC and Arizona State since they're in the same division as the two, but their fav- their schedule works out pretty favorably for them when it comes to those two teams. They get a bye before USC, and they get the Sun Devils at home. Utah's a tough place to play up there in Salt Lake City at the altitude when it's cold, especially for a Southern California uh, Arizona team, so that could present some problems. They get 18 starters back. Charlie Brewer is a transfer quarterback from Baylor. He's battling Cameron Rising for the quarterback job. Rising was their starter last year, and they were expecting big things from him, but he hurt his shoulder in the first game and had to miss the whole rest of the season. So still TBD on who's starting that that quarterback battle. They have running back transfers coming in from Oklahoma and LSU that are going to be running behind their entire returning offensive line from last year. So they should be really set no matter who they go with to start at quarterback and running back. You know those cats have to be talented if they were recruited by Oklahoma and LSU. So playing with a good QB and getting to run behind a good, experienced offensive line, their offense should be forced to be reckoned with. Their coach, Kyle Whittingham, has been kind of low-key one of the best coaches over the past decade or so there at Utah. He just coaches tough-ass teams. They're very sound. They always play a good, hard-nosed physical defense. I like them a lot. They just seem like the most steady, well-rounded team in the South, so I think they're going to they're going to win that division, but there's three teams that could easily win it, and it wouldn't be surprising if any three of them do. So my pick's Utah, but that's going to be a really fun division, especially when those three teams play each other throughout the year. Now we're going to move on to the Pac-12 North, where Washington and Oregon are the two big featured teams. We'll start off with the Ducks because they make a little bit more noise on the national level year in, year out. Their defense is going to be beastly. They have Kayvon Thibodeau leading the way on the defensive line. Talked about him in the last episode, getting those deals with Nike and United. That should just tell you right there, if you don't, even if you don't know anything else about him, how good he is, especially considering that most college athletes are signing smaller you know, deals with local barbecue joints or car dealerships. This guy gets global corporations signing him up as soon as they can, so everybody knows that he's the real deal. If... The draft goes a little unconventional this year, and there isn't a quarterback taken with the first overall pick. He would probably be the favorite right now to go first. He'll definitely be the first defensive player unless things just go sideways this year, but everyone's got really high high hopes for him to be a top-five pick in the draft. So they're deep all over offense as well. They have a new QB with a couple guys battling it out. I haven't heard that there's been a starter name there, but, you know, whoever Oregon's going to start at QB is going to be pretty solid. Only thing about the Ducks is they do have a pretty tough schedule with going to Ohio State Week 2, so that's going to be a real good test real early on. That'll be very interesting to see how their defense holds up against the really great Ohio State receiving core, but the new quarterback we talked about earlier, so... I think that'll be a close, super competitive week two game there in Columbus. The other team I mentioned, the Washington Huskies. 
So they should have played for the Pac-12 championship last year. The Pac-12 was probably the most discombobulated out of all the Power 5 conferences during COVID. Unsurprising with their lackluster uh, commissioner who is no longer there. But um, they Washington was disqualified from playing since they only got four games in last season. So kind of bizarre when you compare them up against teams from other conferences that played the full or close to the full slate. Washington only played four games. They have a quarterback battle that's ongoing like Oregon does, but they uh, they have their incumbent, Dylan Morris, who played last year, and they have a five-star from Seattle, Sam Herard, I believe is how you say his last name, that's challenging him. So Herard's a freshman. He's going to be He's going to be a probably higher ceiling, but longer learning curve. So it'll be interesting to see if they go with the veteran or the more talented young guy. Their offensive line is stacked. The best player on their team is Cade Auden, a tight end who should be going in the first round in the draft. They're really deep at running back. They've got a solid defense, although they have a couple brand new cornerbacks from what I read. So I think they're going to be a really solid, solid team here in the Pac-12 Everyone expects Oregon to come out of the North, and they very well may. That's, I mean, to me, that looks like more or less a coin toss right now. Probably Oregon a slight favorite, but I'm going to go with Washington to win that and uh, end up playing Utah in the Pac-12 championship. If Oregon's quarterback comes into form, then it's hard to see. It's hard to see Washington beat them, but I don't know with Washington having a more established presence at quarterback and a guy with a really high ceiling that I was reading about sounds great. So I'm going to go with the Huskies and the Utes to play in the Pac-12 championship. And I like Utah to win it. So took a little flyer on them to win the the South division and a little sprinkle on them to win the conference. Who knows? It could go any one of five ways, but I think the Pac-12 should be a lot of fun for, for us people who don't have a much of a dog in the fight to kind of sit back and observe that five-way battle for the conference and see how it goes this year. So hopefully that gives you a little insight into those teams. You might not have known a whole lot before, but um, I'm excited for some Pac-12 after dark with the Utes and the Huskies. Now last, and certainly not least, we're going to look at the SEC. Already hit on the two big dogs, Bama and Georgia, quite a bit, so we're not going to repeat any of that. Um, I think the West is going to be a lot better than the East this year. The East has a couple of sneaky teams that I'm looking at that I like a lot. The maybe even challenge hitting in that two spot, but there's no reason Georgia shouldn't win that division. They're they're much more talented than everybody else. With Florida having lost three first rounders on offense, and might be a little bit of a regrouping year for the Gators. I don't eat those words when Alabama goes to Gainesville Week Three, but we'll just have to wait and see. So they have a talented team, but only returning nine starters from last year. Like I said, most teams are returning a whole lot more than that, just with the super senior situation and all the nuances of the COVID rules. Um, Emory Jones is finally going to get his chance at quarterback. He's a junior there that's been behind Kyle Trask the past couple years. Um, I think he has the potential to be really good. I mean, every quarterback in Dan Mullen's system seems to do well, and he definitely has the skill set. So he could give Alabama some problems and everybody else. I don't think their defense is going to be too good. They lost a lot over there, and they already weren't too great last year. Um, they're just it's a, it's a talented team. They're just young. I don't know that they have a whole lot of depth. So I think they'll be able to put up some points, but 
keeping up with their their opponents and their pretty weak defense might be a little too much for them to handle to be a legitimate force in the SEC East conversation. Um, Kentucky and Missouri, actually a couple teams that usually you don't think about when you're thinking of the division race. And I don't think they're going to challenge Georgia, but I think both of those two teams could be really, really good and finish possibly even ahead of Florida. So I would I would love to see one of those two teams get in that two spot, that three spot. You know, I think I think those three will be uh, right there behind the Bulldogs. The bottom of the East is going to be really really bad this year with Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vandy. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why the West is a lot a lot better than the East this year is just because the bottom three teams. I think the bottom three teams on the West will be Auburn, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, and I think those three teams could beat the other three teams from from the East on any given Saturday. So it's going to be a pretty easy bottom there for, for the SEC East teams that are closer to the top, but I'm excited for Kentucky and Missouri. We'll get more into them. They play Week 2. It's going to be a really exciting matchup. That Week 2 slate's actually turning out to be pretty damn good, so we'll focus more on them. But in our week two preview here in a couple weeks. So the West, I obviously expect Alabama to win that division and play Georgia in the SEC championship game, but there's just a lot of really interesting teams. Uh, Texas A&M is expected to be number two. Some people even think they could beat Alabama for the division, which is totally fair. A&M, they lose their quarterback and four offensive linemen, but like I said, Haynes King is coming in. He's a super, the super athletic def, uh, dual threat quarterback. And their offensive linemen, even though they lose a lot, you know they're going to have talented guys. Jimbo's been recruiting really well there. So they have a very favorable start to the season. Play basically nobody up until week six when Alabama comes to town. And so they should be able to kind of figure everything out, get any kinks out of the offense that they may have early on before the competition in the SEC West ramps up down the back half. But that being said, that's like the most classic A&M thing ever. I feel like every single season they start off 5-0, and feeling good. And then usually when they play Alabama, they get down pretty good and they'll end up like 7-5. and So I, I don't think that'll happen. But the classic A&M, you know, hot start, top 10, and then just kind of trickle off. Uh, we'll see because they, I mean, down the stretch, they have Ole Miss and, and LSU and Alabama right there in the middle. So I think, uh, they have some time to get their shit together this year with the new offense and everything, but it'll, it'll be interesting watching them down the stretch to see if they're legit, you know, can actually compete for the division and conference and playoff like they did last year. So they have keep going on them for a minute. Their skill players, everything that their offensive line may lack, their skill players are going to be studs. Isaiah Spiller is probably the most high-profile running back in the SEC coming into this year. Tight end Jaden Jalen Weidermeyer is going to be amazing as well. Their defense is going to be elite. Uh, you know, we'll see how the QB comes along. Everything I've heard sounds like he should be really, really good, but if he's not, then it could just be another very average kind of ground and pound. A&M team with a pretty good defense. So I think A&M has a lot of potential, but I like Alabama to come out of the West still. Quickly, we'll hit on Ole Miss and then LSU <laughs> might take a minute because that's a pretty bizarre situation down there. Ole Miss, 
I'm really high on them this year. I like, I mean, I'm a Kiffin fan, especially after his tenure went so well in Tuscaloosa and everything, but their only major loss on offense is Elijah Moore getting drafted by the Jets. Obviously, that's a pretty big loss. He was such a stud, but they have a lot of other guys coming back, including quarterback Matt Corral. The SEC is just peppered with a lot of new and unproven, even if talented, uh, quarterbacks that just don't have a ton of game experience this season. So Corral is probably the most uh, well-known and established quarterback in the SEC. And, you know, Ole Miss, their, their defense was a major problem last year. They couldn't stop anybody. They put up a lot of points most games. But, I mean, the de- defense was keep holding them back from being any better than, you know, pretty good. Uh they're getting seven back on the defense, plus a couple of JUCO transfers and a really good transfer from Georgia. It's their safety, Otis Reese. Uh, he was not cleared by the NCAA until November, and he only played three games for Georgia, but he had really good, uh, really good numbers in those games. So with the transfers, they should add to a pretty poor defense. And even if they're not great, I don't think they're going to need their defense to be great most games this season maybe with the exception of playing Alabama, A&M, and possibly LSU, depending on how they shake out. So I think uh, I think Ole Miss is going to surprise some folks this year. There's just Their offense is going to be so good. And, I mean, I'm, I have a lot of respect for any Kiffin offense. So it's, they're going to they're gonna be a thorn in people's side. And, you know, that they'll probably do the classic bit where they win a game or two they're not supposed to, and lose a game or two they're not supposed to. But if they can get their defense to play with any sort of consistency, you know, they could they could have a 9-10 win season. I could see it. They start off with Louisville in the Chick-fil-A Part 2 opener in Miami on Memorial Day night on Monday. So that'll be uh, – should be a nice start to the season for the Rebs because everything I've heard out of Louisville is pretty horrendous. So I think they'll get off to a strong start. Lastly, in the SEC, we're going to look at LSU. What a bizarre turnaround it was last year. Um, Of course, 2019, one of the best offenses we've seen in college football history with Joe Burrow uh, behind center, Joe Brady calling the plays. He, both of them departed to the NFL as soon as that season ended, as did much of that offense. So last year, they replaced 16 starters. Their probably best returning starter, Jamar Chase, on offense, sat out the season, opted out, and just prepared for the NFL draft. They only went 5-5 five and five last year. A lot of that, they had to obviously replace most of their offense, but their defense was horrendous under Bo Pelini. Uh, both of their offensive and defensive coordinators have been replaced from last season in 2020. So Jake Peets from the Panthers is replacing their offensive coordinator, Steve Insminger, who retired, and Durante Jones from the Vikings replaces Bo Pelini, who was relieved of his duties in Baton Rouge. They gave up a zillion yards and a zillion points. It seems like every time I was turning on the TV Saturdays in the fall last year, even a Mississippi State week one, State pulled that huge upset against LSU in Tiger Stadium. You know, that's the first game they had played since they hoisted the trophy in the Sugar Bowl in 2019. So that was shocking to the entire football world, even though we knew LSU was not going to be what they were 
2019. No one expected State, the first game under Mike Leach, to tear it up. Everyone said, oh no, Mike Leach is going to take over the SEC. State looks so good. Turns out State was trash last year, and LSU just ended up sucking even worse. So there's no, LSU can only go up from here. I mean, last year having a 500 record was a total embarrassment. They just had COVID problems, locker room issues. Um, You know, we'll see how that goes. But I think with all the talent that they just get year in, year out through recruiting. Last year, they did have a ton of turnover with opt-outs and just losing cats to the draft and whatnot. So that you know they'll they'll be better than they were last year but their ceiling nobody really knows and i think anybody who sounds confident i haven't heard anybody but if you do then they're probably just pulling shit out of their ass because i don't think there's any way to really predict this so max uh max johnson is going to be starting at quarterback for lsu he's a sophomore and there was an ongoing qb battle in baton rouge between him and miles brennan but uh, <laughs> Miles Brennan broke his non-throwing arm while, quote, he was in a freak accident as he prepared for a fishing trip days before the team reported for camp. I don't know what the hell that means, but <laughs> Miles Brennan is going to be out until at least halfway through the season. So Max Johnson is going to get the starting role. By, you know, by the time Brennan comes back, assuming Johnson plays decently well, he probably won't be getting the job back. So that's a bizarre situation, but everything about LSU in the past year has been bizarre. So I guess it's not too terribly, uh, not too terribly surprising. Let's see if I can get back to my notes here. So they do have all five offensive linemen returning, which is good news for Miles Brennan. If he does recover from that broken arm, maybe he won't break the other one when he gets back. Uh, Like I said, their defense was so bad last year, but they're getting nine back. They've got a couple studs on there that are going to be, you know, NFL draft first rounders, no doubt. And Bo Pelini was not a popular dude there in Baton Rouge. So the defense is only going to get better. It wouldn't shock me to see them return to a similar kind of classic LSU team from the 2010s pre-Joe Burrow. Uh, You know, I don't know that this Max Johnson cat is going to be able to replicate that. I don't know that their receivers are as good as they were the past couple years, although I'm sure they still have a extremely talented core. Um, I don't know. I, I, I could see LSU having a stout defense, good running game, and passing game just being so-so this year. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know what their offensive philosophy is going to be like with this new guy from the Panthers. So who knows? They could make some noise, but I think uh, it's just going to be really interesting to see how the whole Ed Orgeron experiment goes now because last year it was so bad they can use COVID as, as an excuse you know it's probably partially fair but not fully fair so I'm a skeptic of his coaching ability myself I think he fits in well in Baton Rouge he's obviously a good recruiter for that school but you know they had it seems like they could have caught lightning in a bottle with Burrow and Brady that special, special offense that year. Um, so this is a big year for Cocho because if they come out and they win, you know, they don't have to win the division. Even if they finished in third behind A&M and Bama, you know, what they say, they could still win nine games and 
lose to A&M, Bama, maybe lose to Florida. They'd have an opportunity to slip up outside of the Tide and Aggies if they win nine games. But, you know, then you could blame it on we had to replace 16 starters. It was a COVID year. And, okay, probably fair enough. Uh, but, you know, if they, if they lay a couple stinkers this year and put up a 7-5 and five record, Coach O's future is going to be very iffy there in Baton Rouge. And that wouldn't shock me. I mean, I, I could see them being, a, being an 8-win team maybe this year. They start off with a really interesting matchup in Pasadena against UCLA. Uh, you would think LSU would just be able to steamroll them, but UCLA should be a little bit better. I think we touched on them in the last episode briefly um, with Chip Kelly, but... Uh, LSU is only a four-point favorite in that game, so that just that one smells fishy to me. I don't think I'm touching that either way. I'd like to just kick back and watch that game and not be worried about having one side or the other. But um, that's a weird spread. It's a weird spread with how much more talented LSU probably is than UCLA. So you know, I don't know if if LSU drops that game or even if it's super close and UCLA turns out not to be too too great, then. It might be a long season for, for Coach O and the Tigers, so this is a big year for him, and if things go south, then people uh, people might have old takes exposed coming at him a bit after their parades after the 20, 2019 season, so big year for LSU. We'll see if they can bounce back. They're going to be talented, just a lot of questions with you know, new, their third offensive coordinator in the past three years, and uh, might be the same for the defensive coordinator, actually. I think, I believe it is. So, lots of turnover there, lots of new faces, lots of talent, but big year for them and Coach O. So, to wrap up the SEC, like I said, I like Bam out of the West, Georgia out of the East, uh, matchup in Atlanta for the SEC title game. Y'all know I can't pick the dogs. <laughs> Bam over Georgia and another classic close one. So that's it. I've got uh, ACC going Clemson over UNC, Big Ten, Ohio State over Wisconsin, uh, Big 12, Oklahoma over Iowa State, Pac-12, really the only interesting one out of all these, but it's kind of hard to not to go chalk in most of them when there's really only two standout teams. Pac-12, we've got Utah beating the Washington Huskies, and SEC, Bama over the Bulldogs. So that's it for our conference preview. Quick little segment here at the end. We're going to look at some coaches that are on the hot seat, some storylines to look at teams that don't have to worry about winning their divisions or conferences this year, outside of a couple maybe. Clay Helton at USC. That's just such a been such a weird roller coaster ride for him there the past couple years. So they could uh, their season could really go a lot of different ways. But yeah, we'll we'll touch on here. Uh, touch on the hot seat coaching preview after I get back from a little break. All right, so I've got five coaches here that I'm watching, and we'll probably make this a weekly segment, kind of update it, move coaches out of it, move coaches onto the list as the season goes on and people's destinies seem to start to be changing. Coach O is kind of a dark horse for this list, but I'm not ready to throw him on here quite yet. So we're going to start off, uh, the guy at the top of my list, everybody, all right, so everybody says... Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech is probably going to be the first guy fired this year. It's his sixth season there in Blacksburg. He's been gone for a record of 38 and 26 so far, coming off of a five and six season last year. Their recruiting has really gone downhill under him in this past uh, 247 ranking from the past recruiting cycle. They finished 43rd nationally 
And that's just not the VT that most of us grew up with in the 2000s and early 2010s under Frank Beamer. I mean, you know, they were a maybe even maybe not a national championship contender every single year, but it felt like they were in the top 10, you know, more often than not at most points of the season. So unfortunately, VT's gone downhill. That was always kind of a fun team to watch as a neutral fan, but they uh, they might be parting ways with Fuente. They have a <laughs> brutal opening matchup on Friday night of week one at home against North Carolina. So we'll see if they can give the Tar Heels a good battle, but um, unlikely that they're able to get through their schedule with enough wins to, to keep Fuente around. The next guy on the list is Scott Frost. We talked about him a good bit in our week zero preview of the game of the week, Nebraska versus game of the month, sorry, for August, Nebraska versus Illinois. Frost is 12 and 22 in three seasons, coming off of a piping hot three and five record in 2020. He has NCAA infractions put on him in the past week and a half for having off campus COVID uh, workouts. So his future in Lincoln, after he was thought to be the saving saving one, after he was thought to be the chosen one coming back to Nebraska after he played quarterback there back in their glory days, uh, you know it, it, it's it's been it's been a long three years for him, and I don't think things are going to get much better this year with their mass exodus of players that either graduated transferred to places like Rice and Kentucky. You know, if they're leaving Nebraska for schools like that, things are not going well on or off the field in Lincoln. So I don't really see him making it through the season, maybe not get fired during the season, but after the fact, wouldn't be surprising at all. I could see him as, you know, after after Fuente maybe being the the next big Power 5 conference coach to, to get canned. Next, we've got Jim Harbaugh. This is a pretty bizarre situation up in Ann Arbor. Um, of course, Harbaugh, he's had decent success, just not to the Michigan standard, which, you know, a lot of people, including myself, think that at this point, it's been so long, maybe Michigan needs to rethink their standards. I don't know if they even care the most about winning the Big 12, or sorry, Big 10 making it to the playoff or if they just want to beat Ohio state, it's been so long since they have won the game. It doesn't really even feel like a game anymore because Ohio state has just been beating them like an absolute drum for practically my entire football viewing life. Ohio state has won eight in a row. (laughs) Last time Michigan won was in 2011. And before that, the last time Michigan won was in 2003 so quite literally, since uh, the first season I remember really paying attention to and understanding college football was in 2004, since then, Ohio State has won 15 out of 16 matchups against the Blue. So, you know, that doesn't feel like <laughs> much of a rivalry to me anymore. I know it still is a great game when both teams are competitive, but even when Michigan has been good and had a good season, if you get beat by 50 points to the Buckeyes, then... Yeah, their their season just ends in such a sour taste that you know the the nine nine or ten wins you had before that game might be quickly forgotten. So Harbaugh, above all, he just needs to beat Ohio State. I guess this wouldn't be a terrible terrible year to do it if it weren't for Michigan just not having a really great outlook this year. Um, so they 
people were thinking he was going to get canned last season. Bear with me, this gets a little in the weeds on his contract, but it's pretty interesting. So he has been at Michigan for, I believe, six years now. They extended him at the end of last season, which surprised a lot of people. And because they were thinking he might get fired, Michigan might hire Matt Campbell from Iowa State. That would not have been surprising at all. Michigan fans probably would have been really juiced about it, but instead they extended Harbaugh after he's never beaten Ohio State. They extended him to 2025 after renegotiating contract terms. So before this extension, he was making over $8 million a year. That got cut in half, so now he's making around $4 million a year, and they made it way, way easier to get rid of him. So they essentially didn't put themselves, the school didn't put themselves in a bad situation with a crazy expensive tens of millions of dollar buyout if they're ready to can Harbaugh before 2025, which seems, you know, not hard to imagine at all. So if they were to fire Harbaugh after this season, he would actually owe Michigan $4 million. So his entire salary from this year, if they decide his performance is not adequate after this season, this uh, this term continues until his contract expires in 2025, but each season that he makes it further, there's a $1 million reduction in how much he would owe the university if he were to get fired. So I know that's a little confusing. So to kind of recap all of that, they extended Jim Harbaugh when a lot of people thought that they were going to fire him through to 2025. They cut his salary essentially in half from about $8 million to $4 million a year. And the big kicker, all these schools who fire their coaches on a whim after recent contract extensions are in the pocket for $20, 25000000 million buyouts because they have to pay their part of the deal. But Michigan said, no, we're not going to do that because we could fire you right now, but we know you want to stay and we're going to give you one last chance. So they said, if we fire you after 2021, you owe us back your entire $4 million salary from this season. And then if you make it to 2022, get fired after that season, then you only owe us $3 million. If you make it to 2023, that's $2 million. 2024, you owe $1 million if you get fired. And 2025, that's when the contract expires. So I am not a Jim Harbaugh fan, and this will be probably the only time you hear me say anything complimentary about him. I do respect the fact that he was willing to do this, kind of swallow his ego and his pride, which there's plenty of, and he just bet on himself. He said, okay, I know if you know my f- performance isn't good enough, I'm going to end up having to pay back my entire or part of this salary if I end up getting fired by Michigan. As far as I know of, that's pretty unheard of in college coaching. I can't remember anything else happening like this. I could be forgetting something. If I am that you know of, let me know. But um, yeah, pretty bizarre situation there. But, you know, I respect the man's betting on himself. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a terrible year for Michigan, but I don't think it's going to be a year that's going to really fire up the fan base for four more years of Harbaugh either. So things would have to go probably pretty bad for him to get canned after they just renegotiated this and proved that they were willing to give him another chance. But you know, if it doesn't happen in the next year or two, then I, I, I don't see him lasting the entire the entire next uh, five seasons there in Ann Arbor. Next, Clay Helton, USC. Already touched on him a little bit uh, in the Pac-12 preview. So he's on a, going into his sixth season with the Trojans. 
always just kind of seemed like a weird hire just hasn't doesn't really have that southern california vibe like pete carroll and sark can kind of give off just that cool swagger that they they displayed what that when usc is really rolling it seems just like the perfect match but helton kind of an oddball just off the field character wise so he's never really had the full support of the fan base i feel like even from day one He's gone 45 and 23 in his uh, five seasons there in Los Angeles. He hit a really bumpy spot in 2018 to 19, where over those two years, he was combined uh, 13 and 12. And after that 2019 season, a lot of people thought that that would be his last year. That was his fourth year there with the Trojans. And the recruiting was not going very well at all. They had essentially just gone 500 over the past two seasons. And USC's athletic director decided it was smart to do the whole, we're going to call a press conference. Everyone said, okay, this is probably when he's getting fired. No, the press conference was announcing that your coach wasn't getting fired. People, (laughs) that's never a good sign. Uh, You know, it, it... if it's a good situation, you know, Alabama's not calling a press conference after the 2020 season saying, hey, uh, just to let you know, Nick Saban is sticking around. Maybe they did do that in some form or fashion with this contract extension for recruiting, but that's a totally different situation. Uh, you know, if a coach is stable and steady and not worried about going anywhere, then there's not a press conference saying, hey, guess what? We're not firing this guy. So that was really eye-opening and bizarre when USC did that. But to his credit, Heldon's credit, they went 5-1 and one last year. Uh, they made it to the Pac-12 championship and lost to Oregon, who, as a reminder, got shoot in there after Washington was disqualified for only playing four games. So last year went a lot better for USC. Of course, it was just the weird, you know, COVID season, and they only played six games, and it was only Pac-12 teams, which was pretty weak last year. So this year, they've got their normal full slate. They play Notre Dame. That should be a really good game. I'm not too high on really either either of those teams, but that's always a classic fun one. So I think USC, you know, probably probably nine and three this year. I don't, I don't think they're going to win the PAC 12 or even the division, but it wouldn't be terribly surprising if they did with how much that conference is going to kind of beat itself up. But uh, yeah, Hilton, I think he'll make it through this year, but I don't know, kind of like a hardball. They probably won't be bad enough to fire him, but I don't think they're going to really get where they truly want to go either. Lastly, quickly, Matt Wells at Texas Tech. He's gone eight and fourteen in two years. I think the Red Raiders are only projected to win four or five games this year in the Big Twelve, which, like I said, is super weak. So that's that's uh, not a good sign if your win total in Vegas is only about four and a half. They've had a lot of players transferring away, just not a lot of talent in Lubbock, and it wouldn't be surprised, even though he's only been there for two years, to see him uh, not make it not make it past this season either. So that uh no wraps everything up on a on a great note positive and everything but appreciate y'all sticking around for another episode that went longer than planned uh like i've probably mentioned already i think once the season gets rolling we'll we'll try to get through these a little quicker just a lot to go over with the off-season recap and season previews and everything so uh little housekeeping to end things off so next week we're gonna do we'll do a super fast 
recap of the game of the month and UCLA versus Hawaii here in week zero. See if the Horn Cus- Horn Cut Horn Cuskers. <laughs> Corn Huskers can uh get it done in Champaign against Illinois. If not, Scott Frost will definitely be at the top of this hot seat, no doubt about that. But uh after we get through that quick little recap of week zero, we're going to do a full look into all of the really exciting games for week one. Uh, we've got Wisconsin versus Penn State, Bama, Miami, uh, Georgia, Clemson, of course, Texas versus Louisiana, UCF, Boise State, North Carolina, VT, Notre Dame, uh, FSU, Ole Miss, and Louisville on uh, Labor Day. So it's. Uh, just a classic, classic fun first weekend. I can't wait to get the ball rolling. It's been, you know, there's been a lot of college football news this off season, as you heard in the last episode, but I'm just excited to finally be looking forward to actual games and get the ball kicked off and just talk about some stuff that's a lot more fun than logistics of conference realignment and COVID crap over the off season. So it's uh it's going to be a fun season preview or week one preview. I hope you enjoyed the season preview. We might have a guest next week to preview the Georgia Clemson game. Uh, this is going to be the first time I will have had a guest on a podcast, so I have to shake out some of the technological difficulties and make sure we can do that and make everything sound okay. If so, we're going to have a guest come on and talk to us about the marquee matchup of really the whole season that we're getting here in week one. We're a little bit spoiled. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's my dog, big Bulldogs fan. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. We might be releasing a quick, much quicker episode at the beginning of the week. I'm going to have to see. My next week is kind of crazy with, I've got six or seven people coming in town for fish next weekend. So if I have enough time this weekend, I'm going to try to sneak out a another quick little bonus episode before the week one preview, but we'll just have to see if I can get it in or not. If not, then the week one preview should be really fun and exciting. Uh, Lastly, shout out to my sister for making the Instagram. Let me see what the handle is on that real quick for y'all. So that handle is at hummus tailgate party pod. (laughs) It's got our little logo as the profile pic and everything. I haven't been on Instagram in over three years, so she might be helping me out with kind of getting that account up and running. I'm on Twitter as well, at Hummus Tailgate. Uh, Twitter only lets you have like 15 letters in the handle, so I couldn't go too crazy with it. But yeah, Instagram at Hummus Tailgate Party Pod and Twitter at Hummus Tailgate. So thanks to Caroline for helping me get the Instagram up and running. Give us a follow on both of those, and we'll try to get some fun pictures and polls and whatever interaction going throughout the season. Um, Also shout out to Maya for helping me out with the logo a couple weeks ago. That was a a bit of a process with my old laptop that was dying. I had to get a new one to start recording these episodes on because my laptop from pre-college had finally bitten the dust like the week before I needed to start recording these episodes. So that was great timing, but Maya was a champ and super helpful. I would not have <laughs> gotten out a legible logo if it weren't for her help and past experience with Photoshop and all that. So thanks to those two. Uh, thanks for all of y'all for listening along. 
welcome to anybody who this uh, was your first episode. We're going to be doing this probably on a weekly basis for the most part. Once the season gets actually rolling, I've been trying to kind of cram in most of these preview and recap episodes here for the offseason and preseason quickly before everything gets going with week one. So stick around. We'll be back possibly early next week, but we'll have the episode previewing week one up uh, Wednesday, no later than Thursday morning. So I'll let you know on Twitter and Instagram and stuff when whenever those come out. So have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, y'all.